It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now, we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Welcome to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Here are Dan Rusinowski and Drew Remenda. From SAP Center at San Jose and Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, we've got the Stanley Cup Playoff Report, and we are in the midst of some pretty exciting second-round <laughs> matchups. Drew Remenda, uh, an unbelievable first sets of games uh, in round number two. Let us start with the St. Louis Blues against the Colorado Avalanche. A lot of people were talking about Jordan Bennington's 51 save performance in the loss in game one, and he came up big here in game two. Straight away, it comes in. McCarr with a shot. Saved by Bennington. The puck loose. Comes near side, and the Blues find the handle. And after that, he made a whole bunch of other saves. Then David Perron went to work. Straight away, Butch Navich to Perron. One-timer, he scores! Perron, power play goal. A one-time slap shot in. 33 seconds to go in the second period. 2-0 St. Louis. That was a five-on-three power play goal for Perron. It was a big one, but an even bigger one came later. The Blues go to battle, and they create a two-on-one bringing it up. Perron and Butch Navich. Perron shoots. He scores! David Perron underneath the pad of Kemper. And they're back up by two. 3-1 to one the score. 9.29 to go. Third period. Blues would go on to win that game. They're even 1-1 one and one with the best record team in the Western Conference, the Colorado Avalanche. And Drew, I think that the goaltending of, uh, of that netminder, Bennington, was absolutely key. There wasn't that little stretch you played at the end where David Perron gets his second goal because Colorado had not played particularly well. Give credit to the Blues because I thought they checked him into the ice. I thought they were so they well, and I thought they, they were so much better in game two. They came out with a purpose in game two of just taking away all the time and space. But Colorado being as good as they are, they put the pressure back on in the third period. But that second goal by Perron, who is a player, I'm telling you, every time you watch that guy, you think, boy, he's still got more left in him. And he's such a he's been in the league a long, long time. But he's, he's had been, several tours yeah. with the St. Louis Blues, too. He keeps coming back. One? Yeah, yeah he's, he's, the, he's the Jeff Norton of St. Louis. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, and, and he, he produces. I mean, he did a great job with that that second goal. That was the one that was the dagger. Darcy Kemper didn't like it. Darcy Kemper should have had it. Um, normally he would, but it was a nice shot by, by Perron. And the Blues, you can't sleep on these guys, Danny. They're the Blues. They're, they play pretty darn well down the stretch. Let's not forget that they've got a lot of Stanley Cup champions from that 2019 team that beat the Sharks in the conference final still there. They're not all there, but uh, still the most important guys still are. Yeah, absolutely. And when you watch Tampa, you watch St. Louis, teams that have won the Stanley Cup recently, guys that have been there, done that. They do have some, I don't know what it is, some, some bit of panache when it comes to understanding how to play the game in the critical moments. And, and there was a nice response by St. Louis yesterday, pushing back on Colorado. What are we going to get 
with the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers and the Calgary Flames. That game, number one, 15 goals between the two teams. I just still can't believe that it happened that way. But we were transported back to the age of, of Gretzky versus Mike Vernon. Okay, you you text me, so, so far so good for Big D. Hour later, you text me, uh-oh. <laughs> that says it all about that game. And Daryl Sutter's team gets off to the 2-0 start in the first minute. 3 nothing, 3-1, but they're, everything's in control. Then it becomes 5-1, right? That's where it happened? Yep. And, and then, did you, I, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't see 6-6 coming. And then after that, it was the Matthew Kachuk show. But that was probably the worst goaltended game I've seen in the Saddle Dome. And remember, we saw a 13-1 game in the Saddle Dome. That's, yes, we did. We, the combined save percentage of all those goaltenders, three of the biggest goalies in the National Hockey League, was a combined, I think it was 7-4-3 or 7-8-3 or something like that. The three, the three goalies, Smith, Koskinen, and Markstrom. Those are the three of the biggest goalies in the league, and they all played like they were small. They were all back in the net. They were by their line. There was so much room to shoot at. And with all the promise of... Uh, how physical it was going to be. It was the easiest time for the Calgary Flames in front of the Edmonton Oilers net that you'll ever see. Darnell Nurse, one of the most, a very tough, nasty guy to play against. Soft, man. Just soft in front of his own net. Two goals directly, I would say, because Darnell wasn't playing hard enough. Um, we did have some nice little antics. We did have some nice little um, uh, back and forth. So Vander Kane and Matthew Kachuk, that was fun to watch. Yeah, a little bit of Edmonton Calgary stuff at the end too. Yep. Lots of pushing and shoving. Yep. Um, but nobody nobody wants to hurt their team, though. No, but you just a couple things. Number one, so Matthew Kachuk gets that gets his goal, gets his third goal in the empty netter, and everybody's throwing the hats on, and the whole Kachuk family is there. Brady's there with his girlfriend, and Grandpa's there, and Keith, former great NHLer, and everybody's throwing the hats on the ice, and everybody's chirping at Keith to throw his hat on the ice, and he takes it off, holds it in his hands, and turns and looks at everybody, and goes. No, this is my favorite hat. <laughs> he said, no way I'm going to throw it to my son. That was number one. Number two, at the end of the game, when um, uh, Backstrom and Archibald were wrestling on the ice and Duncan Keith was over there. This was the funniest thing I thought I, I saw all night. So Duncan Keith and, and Archibald are kind of with Backstrom and big uh, Zadorov. Nikita Zadorov skates over. He's, the guy's six foot seven. He's a monster, right? And tough as nails. He just kind of reaches over, just puts his hand on Duncan Keith, says something to him, and Duncan Keith just backs off. In other words, you don't play that long in the National Hockey League like Duncan Keith has without knowing which battles to fight. <laughs> also, a memo to Keith Kachuk. When you come with your favorite hat on, bring a crappy hat with you that's in your pocket just in case something good happens on the ice, right? Exactly. But that was Daryl. Um, game during the Dallas series when they were talking about, Daryl was talking about getting beer thrown on him. That happened in, was it Arizona? I didn't and hear he said, that. Yeah, well, he said, I don't understand people coming to the to the game and buying, spending 12 bucks on a beer and then throwing it on somebody. I told the guy, you should have drank at first. And then he goes, it's, it's the same thing with that, with the hats. You spend $40 on a hat and you throw it on the ice. Why would you do that? <laughs> so Daryl being Daryl and his comments after the game were typical Daryl. 
well, it's a good day. <laughs> so, Everything's fine. You know, so, you know, the one thing that was interesting, it was interesting to me that he left Markstrom in there. And, yeah. and that's kind of an interesting scenario. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter who, you know, whether it's Vladar or whatever they're going to do. Obviously, that's an interesting decision to make given the score of the game. Now, on the other side of the ice, Mike Smith got yanked because, you know, he let two in in the first minute. Okay, so that's going to happen. But, but still, uh, I was a little bit surprised that when things got really bad that he left him in there. I, I, I thought after, what was it, the 5-4 goal? I think it was the fourth goal by Edmonton. I thought, hmm, Daryl, you may want to get Vladar in there. But we know Daryl. We've seen Daryl do this before. He will keep goalies in. He will give them the challenge of, hey, work your way out of this. Apparently, Markstrom went in between the second and third period and said to, said to his guys, that's it. I'm shutting the door, guys. I have been, I've stunk to this point, but I am shutting the door. Uh, he didn't quite do it, but came close. And so I, I think that's what Daryl looks, looks for. And remember when Markstrom played against the, the Sharks the second game, right? And stunk the joint out. When the second game in, in, in Calgary, yep. stunk the joint out. Daryl sends who? Does he come out and talk? No. He sends his goalie coach out to explain why his goalie played so bad. That was classic. It was classic Daryl as well. The onus goes on the guys who, whose department it is. When it comes to goaltending, Daryl usually doesn't talk to the goalies. That's why we got a goalie coach, right? So you let the goalie coach talk to him. So in this thing, I think this was a situation that Daryl just said, I trust you. You're going to be the guy. And in the playoffs, the one thing the big man doesn't do is panic. So it, it, I, I agree with you. I thought the same thing. Fadar maybe should go in, but it worked out in the right response. Mike Smith, on the other hand, 10 shots, three goals. Not wow. a hard choice for Jay Woodcroft. No, pretty easy in that particular situation. You know, Smith has had good bounce backs. But yeah. here to, in this game number two now coming up, the Calgary Flames have an opportunity to do something that they haven't done in 29 years, and that's take a two games to nothing lead against the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, Jay Woodcroft and Connor McDavid and the boys uh, uh, from Edmonton are going to try to do everything they can to turn that side of things around and make it 1-1 again. But what are the odds that Calgary builds on this 9-6 win and, and gets another one with a much more, shall we say, defensive scenario in game two? Let's remember that this is the second time this season that Calgary has slapped nine on the Edmonton Oilers. And the physical aspect of the game that you and I talked about last cast was going to be the edge for the Calgary Flames. No that doubt. was going to be their thing, without a doubt. Milan Lucic was marvelous in his role. He right away went to the body on everybody, including Connor McDavid. Also, all of Daryl's, you know, soldiers, people like Lewis yes. and, you know, Toffoli getting involved. And, you know, the, these guys know exactly what their jobs are and they're ready to go. 100%. And so their physical play, and you know, both coaches are going to batten down the hatches. You know, yesterday at practice, both coaches through the video session said, guys, we got to clean this up. So in those games, this is what happens in those games. We didn't have very many of them, but I do remember being involved in some, some of them. You want to, as a coach, rage against the machine right you get mad because the game's not supposed to be going this way this isn't the way we play this isn't the way we coach this isn't what makes us successful but there gets to be a point in the game where you look at each other and go all right let's go because you there's no use getting that 
yelling and screaming and getting the guys even more tense. Guys, we're going to play like this. Then let's rock and roll. Then, then you better make sure you get the next goal. I seem to remember a game against Detroit. I can't remember exactly which game it was. Might have been game four, a 6-4 win for the Sharks. And basically, you know, you guys said to Igor and Sergey and, and Garpenloff, well, guys, get going. And they yep. did. And uh, everybody else battened down the hatches like you're talking about. Yeah, do what you do. And so you want to yell and scream, but you, but it doesn't do you any good. Now, if you're the Edmonton Oilers going into this game after losing a contest like that, obviously there's a lot on the line. You don't want to be down two games to nothing uh, on the road in Calgary going back home. You want it to be 1-1 and take the home ice advantage away. You've got Connor McDavid and you've got Dreisaitl to be able to do some of the things that we were just talking about. But what do the Oilers have to do? Well, one, one thing that I think we've noticed with Dreisaitl is that he is injured. You know, that first, that first series against Los Angeles, he was taken down in a scrum, hurt his leg, and he was definitely and, and has been definitely hampered by that. The start of the game, I know it's cliche, but when you look at the Edmonton Oilers, they have been a terrible starting team this year, notoriously bad. And the it's almost start, like they're almost like they're bored. Right. Yeah. Like, okay, what are we going to do now? And the start of the game is going to be important. Now you don't have to, you can't put as a coach, you can't put all the emphasis on, we have to score first. We have to score first. Cause what if you don't, right? And the guys look at you. Oh, okay. Now what? So you have to have a good start. And that good start as Daryl Sutter used to say to us, well, you can't win it in the first at the start of the game, but you can definitely lose it. And you know what it's, else Daryl used to yeah. say? I just remembered this when he was talking about auntie Niemi, he said, well, you got to win those eight, five games. Yeah. And, and you know what? Markstrom did do that. He won the nine, six games. So you come right back, you, you batten down the hatches, you tamp things up pretty solid and away you go. The other thing though, Danny, is what you said, the soldiers for Daryl, right? Mm -hmm. Jay, Jay needs some soldiers. Ryan Nugent Hopkins can't be invisible. He can't keep giving up passes. Your defense cannot be soft in front of the net. Your soldiers have to show up as we have seen again and again and again, it's those middle guys, man. Those middle guys, when the top guys are doing what they do, those middle guys have to come out and either seize on the momentum or reestablish it. Well, Zach Hyman scored a couple of goals last game. I yep. mean, that's certainly something good, but uh, they need, you know what, I, the guy I'm looking at, I'm looking at Evan Bouchard to have a, a very important yeah. game for the Oilers. I think he's really important to what they're trying to do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's got a big shot. You know, the one thing that you have to do with, with Edmonton is stay out of the box. Because they've got a very good power play. Bouchard, part of that power play, he's got a huge shot from the point. Their defense has to be has to be better because Calgary, who loves to play that in-zone heavy physical four-check game, they're going to need to get the puck out quicker than they did. We move on to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers, <laughs> the Battle of Alberta to the Battle of Florida. And the Battle of Florida has been really, really interesting, even in game two, which came down to the final seconds. 23 seconds Lucky left there, in boy. the third. Forsling punches it to center ice, intercepting as Palat tried to fire it in. Weger knocks go, it go, down, go. but he gave it right to Ruda. Across the blue line, right point Kutrov. Kutrov a little pass, finds a stick of Ruda. Back for Kutrov, right circle. He is checked. Held in Palat, though, right point. Find the net, Kutrov, five to go. Kutrov, put it in front! Score! Score! Incredible! <laughs> 2-1 Lightning! <laughs> Could you have magic?
how entertaining was Phil Esposito doing that coaching in the middle of the Phil, call there? Phil's the best. <laughs> Absolutely the best. I do too. He is, uh, he is as old school as it gets without a doubt. What a pass by Kucherov. Did that remind you of anybody that you know? Joe Thornton. Yeah. The, if, if you go back and you look at that replay, we go, how did he know? How did he know? Well, it's because he looked before he even got to the puck. Remember when Eric Carlson, it was against LA, Eric Carlson gave the, the no-look pass to uh, Timo. Was it Timo? Sounds right. Yeah, okay. And so I was doing TV that game and interviewed, we interviewed Eric. And I said, Eric, how did you even know he was there? And all Eric says, you got to look before you get the puck, bud. Okay, <laughs> I guess so. That's exactly what Kucherov did. Well, the fact that he can slow down the game, Eric Carlson, to the point where he can look and know where that the puck is going to be there and do that in that split instant is just something you don't teach. No, it's poise, it's composure that very few have when you're getting near the puck or have, have control of the puck. And Kucherov has the same thing. And in the first series against the Maple Leafs, Kucherov looked at times disinterested, at times slow. After game five, Against Toronto, I thought, oh boy. But since then, the guy has just said, okay, I got this again. I'm starting to feel it. And that game yesterday was so interesting. Corey Perry shoots shoots the puck off the crossbar and warm up and he hits himself in the in that the, was incredible. Just over the eye. Yeah. yeah. Goes in, gets stitched, comes out. Stamkos blocks, I don't know how many shots. Um, Sergachev gets hit in the mouth. Uh, who else? Somebody else got hit in the mouth too. And, and there was a steady parade of into the room, back out to the bench, into the room, back out to the bench. Those guys, they sacrifice. They, they will block shots. They will take sticks and they will not quit. Well, Tampa speaking about Tampa things. Yeah. They're showing why they're the two time Stanley cup champion and they are on a roll. How about Florida? The disappointment, great crowds in Florida, really Fantastic. great to see all those, uh, uh, all those Panther sweaters in the stands. The, the fans getting excited in South Florida about that, about the rivalry, really, really disheartening to see uh, them lose that in the final seconds of the game. It turned out to be four seconds when they got the clock, right. But uh, now you go to Tampa for game three and you're the president's trophy winners. Am I seeing 2009 all over again? Mm. What did Andrew Brunette say after the first game where they lost to the Washington Capitals? He said, well, I'm glad this happened. I'm paraphrasing. I'm glad this happened because it gives the guys an understanding of how hard they have to play and how tough it's going to be in the playoffs because we didn't have really a lot of hard games this year. And they didn't. And they were always able to outscore their problems. And I, I think we all wondered going into the playoffs, will they be able to outscore their problems? And I thought if there was one team that could, it would be Florida because they were so good at it. They were so good at attacking on the rush. They were so good at breaking the puck out, at stretching the game, at playing fast. Well, Washington slowed them down and nobody plays better in the neutral zone than to Tampa Bay Lightning. Nobody tracks back better shrinks the ice better, stands up better, slow, uh, shrinks the gap better than the Tampa Bay Lightning. So that speed, that ability to attack is slowed down. And that was Florida's secret weapon. They have got to make adjustments. Playoffs are all about adjustments. And your coaches, your coaches are tasked with, okay, what do we need to do in order to overcome what they're doing to us? 
yeah, we concentrate on ourselves, but I can tell you, Danny, that we spent after games, we would spend just as much time on what Detroit was doing to us or Toronto was doing to us or Calgary was doing to us as we did on what we needed to do. Well, one other secret weapon, too, is Andre Vasilyevsky in goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And again, he is raising his level of play. Panthers outshot the Lightning 36-28. You know what? Bobrovsky's been good in goal for, for Florida. It's yeah. not a problem. But the thing is, is that Vasilyevsky's making that one big save that he absolutely has to make at a critical point in the game. And uh, that's the difference right now in that series in many respects. So Florida is not going to be able to outscore their problems because of all that great neutral zone tracking that you talked about with the lightning, but also because of Vasilyevsky, who's there when any, any of that part of it fails. Yeah, absolutely. One more series to talk about before we continue our show. And that is Carolina and the New York Rangers, Carolina, has had a two games to nothing lead in four of their last seven series. And uh, in game number one against the New York Rangers, they win by the score of two to one in a very closely contested matchup. It comes down to how about of all people, Ian yeah. Cole getting the game winning goal did, in did overtime. On the, did you have him on the bingo card? No, I, I didn't. Sure didn't. No, not a chance. I didn't even know <laughs> he was going to be on the ice much in overtime, but he was, and he scores that goal. But that's just a, a typical story about teams that maybe are on the verge of having a really long run. Little special things like that happen to them all the way through, and it's usually the role players lifting everybody's spirits. Carolina is on the verge of trying something special, but of course the Rangers will attempt to fight back. How many goals that Ian Cole has scored in the playoffs counting this one uh, he scored last It's game. two, isn't it? That's very good. You, Of course, you would know that because you're Dan Rosanowski, but you're absolutely right. That was it. So he had two goals this season, and now he's had two goals total in the playoffs, and he's been in the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So he's not known for scoring goals in the playoffs, known for playing really solid defense, which is why he's there. But it goes back to what you said. What are your soldiers doing for you? What are they doing? Where's your, where's your support coming from? Who's lighting the fire from below? And Ian Cole certainly did that. But when you look at that, um, that team, you and I have talked about it, or we've said it, both of us, 20-year-old Brendan Morris, they're so much like their coach. They embrace the grind. They are the best offensive zone team in the league as far as maintaining control, cycling the puck, generating chances off the cycle, using all five guys, expanding the zone. They're as good at it as anybody else. You will spend a lot of time in your defensive zone talking to your goalie if you're playing Carolina. And that's what they that's why they are so good at what they at, and then why they've been so good this year. You're listening to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. We'll be back in a moment on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. Unlock an easier way to schedule your team of all-star employees. No spreadsheets, no hassle when team members want to swap shifts, and fast substitutions when staff call out sick. With Deputy, it's simple and lightning fast to create and share employee schedules. It's how over 250,000 workplaces are making life easier. From restaurants to retailers, to hotels and healthcare clinics. Ready to up your scheduling game? Go to deputy.com forward slash sharks. 
We continue now with the Sharks Playoff Report on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. Playoffs are raging in the National Hockey League, but also news is happening with the San Jose Sharks organization. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, the announcement was made that John McCarthy is the new head coach of the San Jose Barracuda, replacing the winningest coach in the history of the American Hockey League, Roy Sommer, who goes upstairs to become a very, very valuable advisor to the Sharks organization. Drew, I'm really excited for John McCarthy. But before we get to that, I want to talk about how many people Roy Sommer developed for the Sharks organization and how much he actually had to put up with and deal with during the course of his two decades as a member of the Sharks AHL squad. Well, think about all the places that Roy lived as a head coach of the San Jose Sharks farm team. Um, Kentucky, Cleveland, Worcester, San Jose. Now, if you are a, a family man, which Roy is, you have to have a special family backing you up in this. And Roy, Roy had that. Roy's success, and you know, you could say, well, you know, they never won the Calder. They never won this. They never won that. The job of, Jay Woodcroft was talking about this the other day, as a matter of fact, the job of a farm team coach, an NHL coach, is to develop. And you mentioned it. He has developed a ton of players. What you love about Roy is his his attitude of, okay, we're going to roll with it. Okay, yep, we can make that happen. He was always a guy that didn't get excited, didn't get tense, didn't get stressed out. He just went out and did his job, even though, as you said, there's so many things that come at you, like this year. Danny, this year, how many guys did he? They, they Over get, sixty they, players, right? That's right. that's unheard of. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So, um, you you can't have a more valuable employee and uh, hockey guy than Roy Sommer. So, Roy Sommer deserves kudos for all those years. And don't forget, he was also with Daryl as a as a assistant coach with the Sharks for uh, a season. That's right. Daryl's first season, he was an yep. assistant coach. He was uh, with the San Jose Rhinos and Rhinos, yep. in roller hockey, won a couple of championships there. And, uh, you know, he, he was a, a great coach at every single level that he has coached at. He was uh, in the ECHL. He was likable guy. He, he won, the, won the Calder Cup as a player a couple of times yep. in Maine. And how about this? 808 career wins in the American Hockey League, which is just an amazing, amazing number. Yep. So, um, but I think, you know, this is a, this is a good move for the Sharks. It brings in a younger guy. It brings in a fresher voice. I remember when Doug Wilson, when Ron, when Ron Wilson was relieved of his duties as a head coach, Doug Wilson said, sometimes the class needs a different teacher. And it's not that the message will change. It's how the message is delivered. It is a younger guy with new ideas and some different energy, but yeah, you got to keep a guy like Roy in the organization. So I think this is a good move by the Sharks. And this will be the first of some changes we see with the Sharks when it comes to hockey operations. 
Oh, we're definitely going to see that. And I'm excited for John McCarthy. I think he's been prepping for this opportunity for a number of years. Of course, he was one of those guys who was uh, the so-called valuable veteran that was on the AHL team. Whenever he was recalled to the National Hockey League, he did a really good job, scored a couple of goals for the Sharks in his career and just kept coming back to Roy Sommer and playing for him and understood Roy and understood everything that the Sharks organization wanted from the largely very young group that San Jose has had in the American Hockey League these last few years. But uh, for medical reasons, he had to retire from the game. That was unfortunate, but he jumped right into his role as uh, as a development coach. He became more and more important as the last two years have gone on behind that bench. And I think he's going to be an excellent teacher. Think about where he's from. He came out of Boston University, and they've had people like Jack Kelly, Jack Parker, Mike Sullivan ends up with the two Stanley Cups with the Boston Bruins. David Quinn ended up in the NHL, now is coaching the U.S. national team in the world championships. So he's from a long line of of great, successful coaches. And I think that that's going to be another guy that's on that list. And I'm really thinking that there are going to be good things happening for John McCarthy. I agree with you. I, I like Johnny Mac, and he's got a high hockey IQ. He's a very likable guy like Roy. He's a guy that approached his second career as a coach very seriously and has worked at it. And I'm glad he gets this opportunity. We will return with more of our Stanley cup playoff report right after this on the San Jose sharks audio network. He scores the San Jose sharks audio network is on 24 hours a day. Whether you're in the office or on the go, make sure that you download the sharks SAP center app presented by Western digital and hit listen anytime. You can also find us on your computer by going to sjsharks.com slash listen. If it's a game broadcast, breaking news, or a player feature, the place to find it is right here on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. So now we go to the Jack Adams Trophy, which is really the Jack Adams Award officially. And that is voted upon by people like you and me, the broadcasters. And we have a definite East Coast bias to the final of three, but uh, that's the way it is this year. Andrew Burnett of the Florida Panthers, who took over for Joel Quenville, and all he did was lead the team to the President's Trophy. Gerard Gallant of the New York Rangers, who had an excellent season. And our good friend Daryl Sutter from the Calgary Flames in the Western Conference. Those are the three finalists. Your thoughts on each. First off, I had seven guys that I could have put down for Coach of the Year. I could have put Jared Bednar down. I could have put... Um, Roddy Brindamore down. I definitely had Todd McClellan down. I think this is like Danny with the coaches. You're not going to be wrong here. No matter who gets it, you're not wrong. All, all three of the, job. all three of yeah. these guys did a great job. I have to tell you, and I'll admit it. My selection is big D Daryl yeah, Sutter. Absolutely. And for me, he is far and away the number one choice for the Jack Adams award. Here's hoping that he does get it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Well, we've got a lot of great games coming up over the course of the next couple of days. And Drew and I will be back for another edition of the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Until next time, so long, everybody. You've been listening to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. This has been a presentation of the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.